0: Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6, and we will be considering verse 1 to verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 up to verse 4, and I love the way Jessica um, ended our time of singing with, great is your faithfulness, because really, the only way we are going to be able to keep the words of this text is because God is faithful despite our unfaithfulness. Now, when we were planning the service, Jessica uh, sent me an email saying, did you still plan to preach Ephesians 6, 1-4 for the child dedication service? Because that would be great. And I had to confess, and I'll confess to you now, I actually planned the child dedication service around Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 because seeing the children that we are dedicating gives a real face to the challenge of this passage. Brethren, God is calling us in this text to devote ourselves to the task Of proclaiming and embodying the good news of Jesus to our children as part of our larger task of demonstrating the triumph of God in Christ over the forces of evil. We have been in the household code from chapter 5, verse 21, all the way to this text. And the household code is meant to capture the beauty of relationships guided and motivated by the love of Christ. From the intimacy of marriage, Paul now leads us to the relationship between children and parents. So let me read the text. Children, obey your parents in the Lord For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Now, wouldn't it be great if this passage was always true of our homes? Imagine how our families would point to the transforming power of the gospel as our kids joyfully obey and we lovingly discipline our children and shepherd their hearts in the fear of the Lord. Now, that is a truly safe family. We foreshadow the cosmic unity that Jesus will bring about when he returns. Now, if that were the case, all the time, I wouldn't need to preach this. But I have to preach it because that is our aim. And we often recognize it in the breach of that aim. So, the Lord has much to say to us today. Now, as we would noted previously, Paul addresses the subordinate parties in the relationship first. And I know subordinate sounds bad, but as we said before, subordinate does not mean inferior. And you see that here. You will note that parents refer to mother and father, so that Paul, in saying children obey your parents, is actually giving equal status to mother and father. And in verse 2, they are equally worthy of honor. And the mere fact of Paul addressing the children directly acknowledges that even at a very early age, they are full participants in the church. He is honoring them by recognizing them as responsible moral agents who are acting out of their relationship with God. Now, let me address the kids in in the vein that Paul takes, kids and teenagers and young adults. This does not necessarily mean that you are a Christian if you are being addressed here. Having Christian parents who drag you to church does not make you a Christian. You need to exercise personal faith and commitment to Jesus Christ yourself. But what Paul is doing here is recognizing that you can believe in Jesus even at an early age. Uh, I think of Pastor Sam. He was saved before he was nine years old. I became a believer when I was seven years old. The Lord is gracious, even to children. And Paul, in this text, is instructing children how they, at an early age, can live to please the Lord and contribute to the flourishing of the community of faith. So children, you are to please the Lord by obeying your parents. And recognize that obey is a stronger word than submit. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands. Obey is a stronger word than submit. That is deliberate in the language of Paul. He is telling kids, you need to follow your parents' instructions and commands because God has given them authority over you. It is right and proper that you obey. That's why Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And you need to obey them as long as they are, what they are telling you to do does not violate the Word of God. Because your obedience is in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. It's not your parents in the Lord as in your spiritual parents. Paul is recognizing your parents are to be obeyed, whether they're believers or not. Your obedience is a function of your relationship with God. The way you relate to your parents reflects your submission to God. For children, your obedience to your parents is part of the good works that God has determined for you beforehand in the language of Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. That means then, kids, that your obedience needs to be more than unwilling or external compliance. Now, all of us have been there, right? I may be sitting here, but in my mind, I'm on the beach. Well, we're in Canada, there is no beach. (laughs) I was thinking of Jamaica, okay, sorry. The point is, your obedience needs to come from a submissive heart. In your obedience, you are giving up your sinful urge to do your own thing, to be your own boss, and to rely on yourself for what is right and wrong. And so you embrace your children, your parents' God given authority as a blessing. That's why Paul tells us, honor your father and mother. It's more than just obey, it's honor. Give them the respect that God intends for you to give them because he has put them over you. And it also applies to us who are adults. We still need to show respect to our parents. And one of the ways we do that is by caring for them in their old age. And I appreciate the people here who care for their parents in their old age. We need to recognize that parents are a blessing to us. I didn't always think that. When I was a young adult, I thought I knew better than my parents. But something funny and strange has been happening. The older I get the smarter they look. In fact, I, I, I remember I was discussing dating relationships with the youth group that I was leading at my church in Jamaica. This was before I even went to seminary. And in the middle of my presentation, my discussion with them and answering their questions, I had this very embarrassing epiphany. Oh my goodness, I'm telling them what my parents told me. And I thought my parents were wrong. (laughs) And now I realize that I could have saved myself a whole lot of pain and heartache had I only listened to my parents. Kids, teenagers, young adults, your parents are not perfect. But honoring God by honoring them is for our benefits. For our benefit. And that's why Paul attaches this promise. This is the first commandment. With a promise. That it may go well with you. And that you may live long. In the land. Now that. Tends to be confusing. Because we tend to impose. Our notions of what is good. Onto the promise. It shall be well with you. And. I appreciate the explanation that Lynn Kohick gives of that it may go well with you. I find that it corrects our faulty understanding and captures Paul's intent. So if you could, um, if, if we have that. The fifth commandment promises that an obedient child will have a good and long life. How might Paul understand this promise in light of the gospel message? First, he would not imagine that it means a life without suffering, for he declares that believers face suffering for their testimony to Christ and should live a life of self-giving service, nor can it mean a life of many years, for he encourages the Thessalonians not to grieve their dead, as those who have no hope, for all will, receive the return, will, will see the return of Christ. Paul likely speaks about the quality of life when he speaks of life going well. For when one acts in accordance with God's plan, one enjoys in the deepest sense God's favor. Jesus promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he asks his disciples to take up their cross and follow after him. Don't miss this. The good life is one walked with Jesus, for the journey's blessed end is sure. So, kids, children of whatever age, you are called to enjoy the goodness of God's purposes as you please Him by honoring your parents whom He has given you. No matter how godly, And obedient, you might look. If you harbor resentment against your parents, if you despise them or are rebelling against their authority, you need to repent and make things right. And I'm talking to all ages here. To love God is to love and honor your parents. And I know it's not easy. You will need the strength that only the Holy Spirit provides. Now I turn to the parents. Parents, the command to honor your father and mother is not, I repeat, is not licensed to manipulate or control our children. The Apostle Paul says, moving forward in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let us recognize that we are stewards of our children's lives, and we are accountable to God for the way we raise them. So when Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, I find myself convicted by the comments that Clinton Arnold makes on this verse. Given the heavy-handedness of the cultural patterns for fathers in both Jewish and Roman societies, readers might have expected this command to have been applied to the children, that children should not provoke their fathers to anger through disobedience and rebellion. This passage, however, teaches that fathers need to exercise a sensitivity and care in how they interact with their children, and especially in how they discipline them. Fathers should carefully weigh the potential impact of their words and actions before responding to their children. This passage effectively rules out reactionary flare-ups, overly harsh words, insults, sarcasm, nagging, demeaning comments, inappropriate teasing, unreasonable demands, and anything else that can be perceived as provocative, and I think each one of us has to apologize to our children when we get home. I want you to note how Paul's instruction to fathers overturns cultural norms both then and now. In a world that uses power for selfish ends, we are being called to use our power to serve our children. God has given us authority over them so that we may seek their greatest good. We do not provoke them to bitterness or resentment, neither do we appease or pander to their desires. Sometimes I joke, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Our children are not terrorists. Sometimes they just act that way. Nonetheless, We are responsible to the Lord to nurture our children in loving, tender relationship. We need to spend time with them to talk and listen. Even when what they're talking about just flies over our head and we barely understand. We need to play with them, to get to know them. In short, we need to treat our kids the way our Heavenly Father treats us with love, with compassion, with a tender interest in the person. Because in the words of Paul Tripp, we are God's agent for forming a human soul. If you want a mission statement for your parenting, remember that. You are God's agent for forming a human soul. And Paul's instruction is meant to apply to both fathers and mothers, even if moms often spend more time with their kids. I know that is the case in my family. But Paul specifically addresses fathers because God holds fathers accountable for the home. And I'm saying this to myself. We cannot abdicate or neglect our responsibility to lead our spouse and our children. Providing for them and serving in the church are not excuses. God has given husbands authority that we may seek the flourishing of our family. Please remember with great power, comes great responsibility and we serve our children rightly when we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord and paul is identifying something very important our adorable kids are sinners who desperately need jesus And their greatest need is to know and love this wonderful Savior. Academic, athletic, and artistic accomplishments are awesome. But they need to be grounded in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So, in everything, We need to be pointing them to Jesus. And if you say, well, how do I do that? I'm going to reference Paul Tripp. He describes our task, and I find it very helpful. He says, the disaster of spiritual blindness is one of the reasons God put you on earth and in the lives of your children. He has strategically positioned you so that you would function as his instruments of seeing, pointing to his presence, power, and glory over and over every day. He has called you to be a tool that recaptures the awe of your children's hearts so that awe of him would reign where awe of self once did. We live in the middle of an awesome, never-ending glory display. And it is our job, and it should be our joy, to point our children to this glory again and again, day after day. So ask yourself, as you are heading for church, were you rejoicing in the diversity of weather, in God's control over this funky winter? or were you like me mumbling about ah oh, i'm driving in soup <sighs> Paul trip goes on but here's the rub in parenting it is very hard to give away what you don't have let me say that again in parenting it is very hard to give away what you don't have in many of our homes It's not just our children who are blind to the awesome display of God's presence, power, and glory everywhere around us. We are also blind to it. Only as God graciously opens our eyes to his glory and captures our hearts with his awe, will we ever be his instruments in the eyes of our children. That comes from the book entitled Awe. Why it matters for everything we think, say, and do. Friends, parenting is a daunting task. And we all fail. But take heart. See, the Apostle Paul is giving this instruction in the context of the church. He's not just addressing parents, he's addressing everyone in the congregation. Because it takes a village to raise a child. And in the providence of God, for all of us, that village is the church. When we dedicated the children to the Lord, as I said, we are dedicating ourselves to coming alongside all parents as they seek to nurture their children's faith and show them the wondrous beauty of our glorious God. And so we have this responsibility to be models and mentors for the children and the parents. So those of you who don't have kids, those of you who are still single, and, who will, and for those who have, in every stage of life, this is where this passage impacts all of us. We are part of the nurturing of these children. They are looking at us. They are learning from us. They are understanding who this God is in the way we worship, in the way we relate to one another. And so, brethren, I hope that we would pledge ourselves to come alongside the children and the families in the task of evangelizing and discipling these children. One of the things you could do is pray for them. Pray for the children's ministries. There's a sheet out in the the foyer that gives us a prayer list. I just picked it up this morning. We need to pray for our kids. We need to pray for our families. The point I'm trying to make to all parents is this. You are not alone. God has graciously put you in a church that will pray for you and for your kids and that will actively come alongside your efforts. But let's admit the church is never enough. Thankfully, we do not parent alone because God has given us himself. Christ died and rose again precisely because both parents and children are sinners worthy of God's wrath. And at this point, I would acknowledge the fact that some of us have adult children who are not walking with the Lord. Just this week, I got a call from a friend telling me about somebody who had been under my pastoral care, who is living a life that is not pleasing to God. And that person's parents are members of the church that I used to pastor. Please understand, this text is not blaming you for your children's unbelief. Children are addressed as responsible moral agents. Each child is responsible for his or her rebellion against God. We cannot save our children. But let us also take hope because their story is not finished yet. Our hope is that the same God who opened our eyes to see His glory is able to open our children's eyes. But the challenge that each of us needs to embrace is that if we want to be His instruments in the lives of our children, whatever age they may be, we need to begin with our own repentance. Let us Together, bring our failures. And they are many. Our selfishness, our misplaced priorities, our misguided parenting, our flashes of anger. The list is too long, isn't it? Let us bring all of our failures to our Savior, who died, that he may rescue us. And let us recognize that our failures are there to remind us that we need Jesus just as much as our kids need him. And our hope in the midst of our failure as parents is that Jesus died and rose again in order to pay the price for the ways that we have provoked our children to wrath and neglected our parental responsibility. And even now, His Spirit is at work leading us to repentance so that we may catch a fresh glimpse of His unfailing love. That's why I'm so glad we sang, Great is Your Faithfulness. That song, that line comes from the book of Lamentations, where the writer is lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem. And in the midst of that bleak situation, the writer hopes against hope because he looks to the character and person of God. And he says, great is your faithfulness. And That is what we cling to right now. In the midst of our failures in parenting, we look beyond ourselves and we look to God. And we cling to his character and say, God, you are our faithful God. And the wonderful truth is that because he is faithful, he has not given up on us. He has not stopped loving us. And that love of God that will never give up on us is that same love that fuels our own delight in God. That's why we need to run back to him so that we may experience yet again the fact that he has not stopped loving us. His never giving up, never stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love. If you've been reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, you know where I got that. It is from that experience of his love that we can show children his love. And we don't do this by ourselves. His Spirit gives us strength and wisdom that we desperately need in order to point our children to our Savior. And our hope, as we point our children to Christ, whatever age they may be, is that He has the power to change the hardest of hearts. After all, He changed our hearts, didn't He? So let us close with these words from Richard Koken. If you have children they will probably take it in turns to make you sick with worry even after they leave home. But you can pray for them every night knowing that God loves them even more than you do and that our Heavenly Father understands children and wants to help us all to bring them up well we can resolve to enjoy parenting at every stage in all its exhausting complexity, confident that God will help us because a family gathered under Christ is proclaiming Christ's victory over evil in the heavenly realms. Let us pray. our Father and our God. We thank you for the privilege and responsibility of raising children. We thank you for those of us who have been given this wonderful gift and heavy responsibility. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our failures better than we know our failures. So first we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for messing up our kids. And help us, Father, in humility, in repentance, to understand the ways that we have failed to obey you. And help us run back to you for refuge so that we may receive from you your forgiveness your grace your pardon your unfailing love that we may delight in you so that we may share our delight in you with our kids oh lord may we know your love so well that we would be infect that we would be infectious So that we could not but speak of the things that we have seen and heard, that we would delight in you and pass on our delight in you to our kids. We pray for our kids. Lord, be merciful to them, bring them to yourself. Pray for those who do not know you, who are here in this congregation. Lord, we recognize that only you can open blind eyes. May you bring them to faith. May you cause them to see your beauty. May you cause the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine in their hearts so that we may all learn to delight in you more and more. As we see your goodness and faithfulness, and as a church, proclaim the triumph of God in Christ to the heavenly realms. This we ask not for our sakes, but for the glory and majesty of your name. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.